Jim DeCanto. I mean, uh, that was a shoot, shoot your shot thing, you know, like, Hey, you want to, do you want to come on and talk to a bunch of guys you never met about, you know, what everything you do and lo and behold, <laughs> he absolutely loves, you know, talking. So we let him just that, that episode was free for him. That was the, <laughs> and I talk about that. That was like our fish concert. We just kind of let him jam and <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Overrun. I'm Dan Schwester, and I have a special guest with us today. Uh, if you are on TikTok, and let's be honest, most of us sitting in a truck are at some point during the day or night, uh, you've seen the EMS Avenger. Uh, he is uh, one of the newer bon vivants of, <laughs> of uh, EMS uh, media. Uh, he's found a niche out there in TikTok, and some of the stuff he's putting out, or a lot of the stuff he's putting out, is really, really good. And uh, we're lucky enough to have him on today, so uh, we'd like to welcome Jimmy Apple, the uh, EMS Avenger, to the Overrun Podcast. Hey, man! Hey, appreciate you having me. It's great to be here. So uh, it's yeah, it's great having you. I mean, we've we've been following each other on Twitter and Facebook, and then uh, you know the the TikTok thing. And uh, so, tell us how how. You, Tell us uh, a little bit about your background, uh, where where you're at, what are you doing, what are you practicing in the field, are you practicing in the field, how long you've been doing this, you know, the usual. Uh, <clears throat> I've been an EMS for 20 years, I've been a paramedic for 15 years. Um, I started in North Carolina and I work in Georgia now. Um, I All my experience is in 911 uh, and I also do critical care. Um, not full-time, I'll, I'll get pulled onto critical care calls. I prefer to run 911. That's just where my passion is. Um, and uh, I love medicine and I love EMS. Uh, it's, it's obvious from uh, watching your videos and, you know, following you on social media. Um, how, did, how did your alter ego come about and what was your motivation? So... I'd like to say that there was a master plan, but there really wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I Things have just kind of happened around me. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something in media, whether it was blogging or podcasting, something. I, I was getting affirmations repeatedly that I had useful insights. I, I just didn't really know how to focus it. Um, I messed around with blogging a little bit, but I just wasn't motivated enough to keep writing. Um, and so I started, I started getting into listening to EMS podcasts and uh, I really thought that maybe that would be something that I wanted to do. So I started talking with Ginger Locke from Medic Mindset and we started she's, she, she served as kind of a mentor and she kind of started asking me thoughtful, thought-provoking questions about, you know, my direction and what I wanted to do. Uh, and she, and Tyler Christofuli also early on kind of connected with me and really kind of encouraged me to do something. Um, and Ginger had asked me what I'm going to do in podcasting that other people are not and what I was going to do that would get people who don't normally listen to podcasts 
to listen to them. And I had no answer for that question. So I kind of stalled out. But <clears throat> I increasingly found myself in the same room, whether literally or virtually, with influencers in EMS, whether they be podcasters or literally people who have their finger on the dial as far as like changing practice goes. And all the while asking myself, what am I doing here? You know, right. uh, I'm just a paramedic uh, on the ground. You know, I'm not an educator. I'm not an author. I'm not a researcher. But I was consistently finding that I was influencing on social media. I uh, worked Twitter very hard and started making connections to, you know, other influencers uh, on Facebook. I post a lot of evidence-based con uh, content. But what brought me to TikTok was my daughters started sending me funny TikTok videos and I would watch them just locally on my phone. But I finally caved to the prompt to install the app. <laughs> I think I might have had a glass of whiskey before that. And um, I started following a, a few people who were in EMS and then the light bulb just came on that this was, this is what I'm doing that not a lot of other people are doing, which is I can present evidence-based medicine to people who have almost no other media exposure than TikTok and reach people who, you know, just don't have that sort of influence to their practice. It's a funny rabbit hole to go down because, you know, you, I, I can't tell you when I started TikTok, but I can't, I can tell you that it's something I reach out for every day. And whether it's just some mindless entertainment in the truck between calls, or I'm actually looking at some stuff objectively to like get some knowledge, this is blown up. This, this app is, and there's a lot, I mean, we can get into the debate over you know, all the other stuff about it, but this is really something that's your niche and you've gotten a lot of followers. Um, I have, um, I mean, there's some people out there, some other EMS content creators that they are huge. A big reason why they're huge is because they're funny. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I actually find that when I'm really trying to be funny, that those are probably my least viewed videos. So I, I kind of, <laughs> maybe try to introduce a little snark into my videos, but I just try to be straightforward with evidence-based medicine. And I find that that catches on pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it really does. You've got a style that, um, that, that definitely kind of fills that void and um, you don't have to be funny, but the cool thing about it and, and things watching your videos is like, you know, and for people out there, if you're, you know, we're going to put, we're going to link to them in the show notes and all that. If you watch these, these are one to three minute chunks of really usable information for your practice. And you're able to kind of, you're able to kind of chunk that out and make it digestible, which is, which is really, really cool. Um, and you've had some good mentorship. I mean, you've got Tyler, Tyler Christopher and Ginger Locke. I mean, how many people have they mentored over the years? They were one of our earliest guests on the show. I mean, we got to get them back soon, but you know, they, they've always been very, very positive. And I think in this community, that's really surprising because EMS is, has a reputation for eating their own. Absolutely. And, uh, 
not in not in the uh, new media world. We we tend to be a group of people that kind of boost everybody up. It's almost it's almost like it's almost like a utopian ideal, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, even on the subject of eating their own, I, I think sometimes even in the 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 area where there is really high level education and evidence based medicine. And where there's even thought-provoking discussions about eating their own, I think sometimes there's actually a lack of self-awareness when it comes to the divide that exists between their community and the community that really has no exposure to evidence-based medicine. They, both of those groups almost seem to really don't know that the other exists. You know, yeah. the, the non-evidence-based medicine crowd, the, the crowd that's kind of really in EMS because they see it as some sort of pseudo-militaristic or police-like uh, entity uh, where they're just really in love with the operational capacities. If you suggest to them that there's a community there that is pushing like push-dose nitro simply just off of their own intuition, you know, and having peer level conversations with physicians about it, it, yeah. it is, they can't even process that. And if you then talk to the evidence-based medicine community and suggest to them that there's a group that are still putting people on backwards, the notion to them is abhorrent and they actually approach that group with derision and just galvanize their resistance against evidence-based medicine. Yeah, and never the twain shall meet. I mean, it's, it is really, there's a big divide. And uh, I think media like this is where we can start bridging that gap. Yeah. Um, it's, it's something that, you know, we've worked on, um, you know, we point out some, you know, it's, and we do a good with a goof and a wink and a nod. You're like, you got, you, you do the snark thing. We kind of wink and a nod, but we'll, we point out some of that stuff. You know, we're like, what are you doing Rhode Island? I mean, we love to beat up on Rhode Island, but I mean, we, we like Rhode Island. But it's <laughs> I, like had, I had somebody <laughs> ask me about what I thought about Rhode Island uh, cardiac technicians and yeah, it's like pass. You didn't touch it. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we try to stay out of that, those, those big ticket discussions. That's really not where I want to be. Yeah, um, I think it's actually really important for me to stay accessible to every level of provider there. I don't want anybody to think that I'm casting dispersions on them. You know, I, I, I don't want to alienate them away. And, you know, so I, I generally pass on opportunities, you know, to, you know, offer a negative criticism rather than constructive criticism yeah it's it's very fashionable and in the internet world it's it's very easy to get into bashing instead of trying to use it as a learning opportunity um i think you can do both i think you can do with a wink and a nod or a little bit of snark but as long as you're the idea is like hey this is this was a swiss cheese mistake this was a lot of layers that happened for this failure to occur, let's look at it and see why we didn't do it, why it happened. And yes, for God's sake, don't be this guy, you know, because yeah. you're you're not going to want to be in that jackpot. Um, you know, I, I think back, like one of the things I always say to the, you know, to the, uh, you know, my trainees or the precept, you know, the people I precept, 
uh, when we go on pronouncements is I'm like, what's the most important thing of a pronouncement? And they're like, I don't know, talk to the family, do this. I'm like, no, make sure they're dead. <laughs> you really, you know, you don't want to be that person. There um, was a famous case in, I think, I think it was Lincoln County, North Carolina, where the medics didn't run a strip. And so the patient, you know, the, the coroner notified somebody that this patient they picked up from the scene was breathing. It, no. it happens every year. And as yeah. we talk about it all the time, but there's always somebody. And my, my thing to them is don't be that person. It's going to be no. somebody, but you don't want to be that person. No, not so at all. Not. I responded to a call where the police wanted us to just kind of peek in, see if the patient had passed, you know? Yeah. I mean, the guy, you know, there was no doubt when you looked at him right. that, that he was beyond saving and so we just kind of peeked in because it was a crime scene. And then we're yeah. like, no, he's gone. And we actually got maybe a mile away from the scene. And I was like, I got to run a strip on this guy. We got to go back. I don't feel good about this. This may be completely irrational, but I can sleep knowing that I got asystole three leads. Yeah, no, no, it's, uh, I get that. That's, and you know, the, the mark of a good clinician, I think is a healthy dose of uh, neurotic neuroticism yeah, <laughs> Just, absolutely not you know, you're not satisfied until you know too much yeah exactly um so what do you, how do you pick your topics for tiktok how do you how do you pick your videos and like what do you is it just things that you like is it things that you read in the news what, what how does it get on an ems avenger video uh i have just in my mind accumulated a list over the years of some of the practices that we engage in that are an evidence-based things that have stuck with me, you know, the, the sort of thing that if you tell the average paramedic that they're like, what, you know, such as uh, I'll give the example of um, the uh, orthostatic hypotension, the, the test that we do in the field, you know, where uh. you, you know, take their blood pressure and then the one that has no relevance. And, yeah, there's, there's no evidence behind it. And it's a great way to induce syncope. Uh, and so, you know, breaking down the evidence behind something like that uh, is something that has always been interesting to me. Uh, and so I have a list of stuff like that that I've accumulated over the years. And I've just kind of started falling back on them, just, you know, in the blank spaces where I, not sure exactly what I want to post, but that invites so much activity from the community that at that point, the videos just start creating themselves. Um, some of the most popular content will be when you reply to somebody. And so, because it, it contexts the, the topic immediately, you see the question. And so, you know what the answer is going, you know, or at least, you know, there's going to be an answer to that question. Um, but the things that I'm most passionate about is resuscitation. I've really immersed myself in that science. So I really try to get a lot of that content out. And that, that is the content that people really, really eat up is the resuscitation science because so many people don't understand that there is a science behind it. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. The resuscitation science on what we've learned and what we continue to learn. I mean, this is, this is cutting edge stuff. 
Um, and even stuff that I remember doing when I was in the beginning of my practice as a paramedic or midway through and now is completely different from, you know, from what we do. And it's going to continue to change. Um, you know, things that we used to do, the medications we used to give. I mean, we used to do stack shocks. We used to do all these things that had no basis in reality. Yeah. And, you know, um, you know, now you're seeing, I, I think out of it, you know, this is my own personal thing. I think out of hospital resuscitations probably go easier than in hospital resuscitations. Uh, uh, I don't think that that's, uh, I, I mean, I don't think that that's even controversial. I mean, when I am talking to other people about whether or not they should be working cardiac arrests on scene, my question is, when you bring that patient to the hospital, do they run that resuscitation better than you? And the answer is almost always no. And then the second yeah. question is, then why in the world are you disrupting a scene resuscitation to bring them there? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, uh, this is where that that other, you know, that other side of the equation, that other group, the non-evidence-based people uh, who have, you know, always been the scoop and run types when they see this stuff work. I mean, it's irrefutable. They, they yeah the first time they get a look at it, they're like the light goes on, you know? Um, and I look at things like, you know, when, uh, where you have Dr. Antevi down in uh, Florida mm -hmm. and he had a department that had no pediatric cardiac arrest saves and then 36 in the next year. And all it was, was staying on scene 20 minutes, not worrying about intubating, putting in a superglottic, having your epi drawn up and just giving three doses of epi and then moving to the hospital. It's so simple, but it's so effective. And, and he's become, see, a, become a leader in that area. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We actually both attended the same uh, resuscitation Academy that was put on by Seattle and Hilton head that Tom Boothelay ran. Okay. And, uh, um, it was just such a pleasure, you know, just getting to talk to him and, and getting into that mind. Yeah, br brilliant guy. Um, he's just done some really wild stuff. I mean, I'm, you can't say enough about him. And and I think the big thing about Dr. Antevi that you get from listening to him or just even sitting talking with him about this stuff is the passion that he puts in it. And a lot of that is what, you know, part of this, this community, like we're all very passionate about our beliefs and the stuff that we want to share. And it's not, it's, it's very egalitarian. It's not a, oh, I'm better than you. I know more than you. It's, hey, check this out. This is really cool. This is awesome. We should be doing this. Yes. Um, um, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think there are sometimes is a huge misunderstanding by the medical, well, by the EMS community as a whole, the ones that would be the receivers of this information about people like myself, there is the, the outlier people that have nothing but negative things to say about creators and influencers like me and don't understand that really I'm just a fan of medicine and I'm talking about the things that I am interested in talking about. And I don't consider myself to be authoritative, if that's the word. Is it authoritative or authoritative? It works. <laughs> I don't consider myself to be an authority on the matter. Uh, I just consider myself someone who has looked into the matter. There's, 
interest has been sparked by this particular subject, and now I want to talk about it. And not only that, if I am presented with information that contradicts that, I am absolutely, uh, it, it would be nothing but a pleasure for me to change my mind if I know that I now have the correct information. I have absolutely no qualms about that. In fact, I read in a book, uh, it's called Think Again by Adam Grant. There was a whole chapter in there dedicated to falling in love with being wrong. And you know, so, uh, <laughs> I got to read that. Oh man, that was a, that's books like that are huge influences on the way I approach medicine. But uh, I have made it my mission over the last maybe 10 years where I've really immersed myself in evidence-based medicine to have absolutely no inhibitions about, you know, pivoting to new information. Yeah, and I, I think that's the mark of, of, a, of a strong clinician. And I think that's the thing that some people don't have is that I have to be right. It's not that I have to be right. It's I, I could be wrong. Um, you know, how do I make sure I'm not wrong? And, um, you know, stuff like that is it's it kind of keeps you humble. It, it kind of keeps you, you know, you're, you're as good as your last call. You're as good as your last uh, decision. Um, I think it, I think it kind of keeps you happy and functional in the job, no matter, it's the reason why I keep going back to work, even though there's days when, you know, it may be your place, it may be your leadership, it may be the stuff going on. And I've, I've talked about burnout and I'm, I'm on that back end of burnout coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, I got burnt and you know, what kept me going was solving the problems, doing, doing the work and, you know, being like, hey, is this is this really happening, or am I fooling myself? Am I kind of confirmation biasing myself into doing something because I think it's mm -hmm. needs to be done as opposed to what should be done? Yeah. Um, and when I, you know, when I get into those things, I find that I go back to the medicine, I go back to just doing the job right. and blocking everything's out. And you know, by uh, by other accounts, I'm a I'm, I don't go to employee meetings. I don't do these things. <laughs> I just come in, I do my stuff, I try to solve the problems and go home. And I have always been kind of that paramedic that works independently. You know, um, I, it is very meaningful to me to interact with patients and to be presented a problem to solve. I'm, I love troubleshooting naturally. I was actually a, a electrician before I was an EMS and I loved running service calls because I loved trying to figure out what was wrong. But I also love serving people. And that's why I'm actually changed fields was because I wanted to do something that was more immediately impactful and meaningful. And so I get to do that every day. And so I am really actually very unaware of the politics that happen around me or, you know, a lot of the things that tend to burn out other medics very quickly. Not that those aren't legitimate factors. I don't want to take anything away from what other medics are experiencing at all. Uh, but whatever burnout I have felt in the field has been very, very temporary and has been for me easily surmountable by refocusing on the job. Yeah. And, and by focusing on the job, focusing on the, here's my patient, what's going on? What do I have to do? How do I make this run smoothly? Um, I think that's after that, that's what I stay in it for, you know, 
it's the only, it's really one of the few things that you stay in. I mean, we deal with people on the worst day of their life in the worst scenarios. And you have to find that, that thing, that wah, that, that's that reason for being, so to speak. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's when I, when I get to those points in my life, that's where I go back to, um, you know, I love when things run smoothly. I love when a resuscitation goes the way it should, uh, where we have very minimal issues and everything works. Not, not that the outcome was good or bad, so to speak, but did everything run smoothly? Did we, did we troubleshoot effectively? Did we get the job done mm-hmm. in, in the manner that we, it should? You know, it's that kind of, you're always seeking perfection, but you're never going to get there, but that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of um, spiritual. It really is weird. Yeah. I heard that uh, Ginger refer to that as a cognitive autopsy. Uh, okay. For what, uh, you know, that after the call breakdown, just looking into those things that could have been better, the things that work very well. And I do like that process, you know. Yeah. I like that. Ginger, I'm stealing it if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so tell me some about some about some of your pet peeves. So what what are some of the things that you think right now are we need to we need to fix? We need to start thinking differently about clinical things that kind of needle you a little bit. Uh, right now, actually, there's an ongoing dialogue on my channel about whether or not paramedics diagnose. Oh my God. I'm glad you got into this. Cause I got so much to talk about. <laughs> and it is a pet peeve of mine to hear that spoken. Um, to me, it is an absurd notion that paramedics don't diagnose. Uh, and I think that it's, that it's, it's almost like we've been programmed like Manchurian candidates to that when somebody says the word diagnose, we sit up straight and we dissociate and we say paramedics don't diagnose, we only recognize signs and symptoms and treat based on the protocol. There's there's no purpose to the distinction whatsoever other than to gatekeep the word for academia. It drives me crazy. Yeah, I, I agree a thousand percent. I, and I, I've had this discussion with people too. It's like, okay, I better be diagnosing. Because if I am, if I'm not, then what am I squirting into this person? Yeah. You know, if, if I'm diagnosing an asthma attack, then I have to diagnose it because otherwise, how do I justify giving the medications? Yeah. How do I justify taking their airway if I have to, or doing any of the most invasive stuff that we do if I haven't diagnosed a problem? Sure. And there's different types of diagnoses, you know, but the same instructor in your paramedic class who will tell you that you don't diagnose will then turn back to the chapter and instruct you how to perfect your differential diagnosis. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Right. Isn't that funny? I mean, you, you have a differential diagnosis or a field diagnosis or a working diagnosis. And then when you go to the hospital, then the physician forms a working diagnosis or a differential diagnosis. And once the lab work comes back and he has all the diagnostics that he needs and he's 
process, process this himself, he makes a clinical diagnosis. But that physician may not even make a clinical diagnosis because that patient may need to be referred to a specialist. And that patient may actually see several specialists and may not ever be actually clinically diagnosed with anything. So we're all just working with an impression and treating based on the signs and symptoms that we see and to a greater or lesser degree treating based on a protocol. They have protocols in the, in the hospital too. Sure they do. So I actually find that it's a more consistent experience for a patient when everybody is using the same word and interfacing on that word because it creates a hub for people to, to interact with and refine. Right. And hint, hint, if you're in a hospital and you're listening to somebody talk about a bundle of care, guess what? That's a protocol, you know? Yeah sepsis, STEMI, stroke, trauma, all of these things are protocol driven, but they all start with a diagnosis. Absolutely. I think in, even at the EMT level, and that, this is what drives me nuts is, you know, at, at the EMT level, um, I think we do them a really, I, I think we do a huge disservice calling them basics. And I think we do a huge disservice telling them, well, you're just technicians. You don't do this. Like, Hey, look, if a six, if my, if the 18 year old EMT sees a facial droop, an arm drift and slurred speech and calls a paramedic unit be, to meet up with them because he thinks it's a stroke, that's a diagnosis. Yes. It may be hypoglycemia, it may be hypoglycemia once we suss everything out, but guess what? It's still a diagnosis. That Absolutely. diagnosis can change. And nobody's and, saying that a paramedic makes a clinical diagnosis. Like there's no box that they check in their PCR that diagnoses them with Parkinson's disease, you know, or, uh, you know, or, or anything. And they're not prescribing medication or instructing a patient to follow up with this specific specialist. So, you know, there shouldn't be any confusion as to what we're referring to, but uh, needlessly making distinctions the way they are now with the word diagnosis to me, it's, it's almost like gaslighting paramedics. Yeah, I, I agree. I think gaslighting is a good way to, to say that. And, and again, EMTs too, you know, you, you, you're making calls yeah. out there. You're, you're making a decision to drive somebody to a trauma center. You made a diagnosis. Yeah. And the, the diagnosis becomes more clear as that patient moves through the chain of care. You know, there may be a right. wide differential diagnosis when that patient first interfaces with EMS. Maybe that patient is interfacing with first responders that are, uh, I don't want to say only uh, uh, EMRs, because I, I really hate using the term only because I find it to be diminutive, but uh, they may first interface with EMRs. And they have a very wide spectrum to work with as far as their field diagnosis. They might move up to ENTs after that, and it narrows a little bit. And then paramedics after that, and it gets a lot more narrow. Then they interface with a nurse and then a doctor. And it's just essentially a funnel that just keeps getting narrower and narrower and narrower until they get a clinical diagnosis. Yeah, it's, it, it's not that hard to figure out. Um, and, and why we still have people saying we don't do this. It, it's, it's all, it's, it's maddening. 
it it doesn't fit into our modern world. It's, no, and it, there's a tribalistic approach to the discussion, which just further emphasizes to me that the distinction needs to be removed because it removes a needless argument. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, any any other ones? Any other things that, that you're uh, thinking about doing a future EMS Avenger talk on? Or Something I, I always like to return to is uh, mentorship and precepting and the attitudes of uh, seasoned paramedics towards EMTs. Well, even new paramedics can still have the same attitude where they are treated as just an EMT. And it's a a very, very destructive mindset. And uh, I, I really like creating content that elevates, you know, an EMT to the second valuable crew member on an ambulance. And uh, it's a pet peeve of mine when EMTs are treated poorly. I mean, the the same paramedic who will complain about having to work with a new EMT is also, you know, openly complaining about the burnout and the fact that, you know, their company won't hire anybody, you know, and that nobody will work with them. And uh, it's such a destructive mindset. And, you know, we all have used the term eating our own, and that's absolutely what we're doing. So that's, that's a very, you know, popular subject for me to, um, to give it. Yeah. I, I gotta say, I had two, I I had a fantastic uh, EMT and a trainee yesterday on a call. And uh, if you're listening and, you know, thank you, you did great. Um, but they were, they were a huge help and a huge asset, um, just even being another pair of hands. And I think, I think a lot of times we forget that in, in the high, in the high frequency world. And let's be honest, we've all been beaten up with COVID and we've all been beaten up with our, you know, we get beat up with our call volumes and we get tired and we get down. Um, but we can't, we have to, we have to remember that, you know, it's a team sport and, you know, and even if you're feeling down, like there are times when I'm like not in a great spot, I'll be honest. And I'll say to them, Hey, look, it's not you. It's just me today. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, I think we have to do that. I think we have to be honest about that. And I think we have to engage and empower EMTs because we can't do it all ourselves. You just, you just can't. We've gotten to the point in medicine in, in the field where I think the idea of one paramedic doing everything while everybody's watching is, is just absolutely it's it's a joke you're 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 kidding yourself if you think you can do it all yeah um i i try to keep in mind you know as the paramedic on the truck and uh, at least in my system when you show up on scene at that point you are the medical provider that's in charge uh and i say that only as far as what SOPs of multiple services state, not that I walk into a scene, you know, large and in charge, but I'm very well aware that there's a certain amount of authority that's been extended to me in specific situations. And so, you know, if I turn to, if I need something from the truck or I need something done and I turn to my partner, I don't want to even want to say my EMT, I turn to my partner and I ask them to perform a task or ask them to go get something. I don't take even that small thing for granted, you know, that there is somebody who has been assigned a job that in, in some 
instances are going to require them just doing what is asked of them. And, you know, I think that there is a tremendous amount of appreciation that needs to be extended to that person and a tremendous amount of respect because they're just, they're filling in every single gap for you on the call. Yeah. And especially like up here, uh, we run a tiered system. So there's two medics and a chase truck that goes out. And, uh, you know, even the fact like, you know, you get, you know, where we're, everybody's having trouble, you know, getting crews or getting coverage and stuff like that. And, you know, the people that show up, I look, you know what, you, you may not think that they're the top of the evidence-based pyramid, but hey, they came out and they're willing to help you. That deserves a thank you. Yeah. And, you know, in, in many services, I don't know if it's most, but many services, uh, there are very limited opportunities for EMTs to be in the back with a patient, uh, you know, is f- that they can transport. And mm-hmm. they are often relegated to driving for, you know, a good part of the day. And I could not imagine making their day any worse through an action of mine when they're already, you know, just stuck behind that the the wheel you know that's a that's a really great uh that's a really great statement that's something that everybody needs to take to heart um and i think that's a fantastic place to end this um because you know the you just hit the nail on the head it's it's about just common decency and respect and maybe that's what we need a little bit more of in this job that's going to get us over the humps. Uh, so Jimmy, what's next for the EMS Avenger? Well, th- there's some longer form stuff that I might want to do. You know, I have a YouTube channel. I haven't posted any content yet, but there's a lot of subjects that people have reached out to me that, that they want to see covered more broadly. And a lot of people have just said, you know, I wish you would make a YouTube channel because I would follow that for sure. So, you know, I, I may start doing some longer form stuff I would like to do some longer form, maybe even podcasting. I would like to talk to other people uh, who are, you know, influencers and, and educators in EMS, uh, not necessarily in the same way that Ginger does, but I want to have those conversations. And so, you know, I may also use longer form channels to do something like that. Uh, I'm also, this has also resulted in a few uh, invites to speak at conferences, so uh, which I did not expect, and and I'm completely overwhelmed by. Um, you know the uh, yeah. uh, imposter syndrome is pretty high right now, but you'll <laughs> see me popping up here and there at some conferences. Awesome. Um, so yeah, that's and then who knows what else after that. That's great. Um, well, listen, you got a you got a podcast. You can come on anytime you want. Awesome. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll see you, see you some more in the future. And if we're at a conference, we'll get together and hang out. Absolutely. Uh, so Jimmy Apple, the EMS Avenger, thanks for being on. Uh, for the overrun, I'm Dan Schwester. And uh, get home safe, as Kevin says. Mm-hmm.